The show was moving along ahead of schedule. We had the first season mapped out. Nick was creating new characters and we looked at adding them in season 2. Profiles were being created and maybe things weren't as bad as I thought they were. The daytime was reserved for Nick's normal routine and going on adventures on an itinerary that only Nick knew. I had no idea what I would see on those days, we would leave Walden and Cruz around town. When I brought up Bruce Lee's grave Nick would say that Sam would take me and he would make sure it would happen. When I brought it up to Sam, he had a look of surprise and wonder revealing that he had never been talked to about it. The salmon fish hatchery was an interesting place, not exactly on the top of my list of places I would have seen while in Seattle, a place I would likely never see again. There were bridges and streams running through the park. In the center was a large box-shaped contraption with windows on the side where you could watch salmon who had been trapped to spawn their eggs and die, trapping their future young for release into the wild keeping the species going for another year. A ramp went around the box leading to the center tank. Walking around the salmon treadmill you could see fish jumping to the next level thinking they were going upstream to their final destination. In the end they fell into a tank of water with nowhere to go, the ultimate secretary of state office where you waited to die and they took your first to last born. In the shallow streams you could see the fungus that had been decimating the salmon population on their fins and backs. These fish were kept away from the rest and for good reason. The surrounding mountains reminded me of Tennessee with houses speckling the slopes hidden behind trees. Instead of the rounded tops the points were jagged and bare from trees and green foliage. There was an Indian reservation that I didn't know about near the salmon hatchery. We went down winding roads, through narrow passageways and found a shop in the middle of nowhere. On the racks outside there was a sale for flannel insulated shirts with shiny snap-on buttons that I had not seen since the 1980s. I picked one out and Nick bought it as a gift for me. The inside was a glorified tractor supply store complete with most items a farmer would need throughout the year. On the way back to Bellevue, Nick continued to ask me if there was anything I wanted to see, we had time to kill and all I had to do was ask. I mentioned Bruce Lee's grave and was met with resistance. I took my phone out and looked up local tourist attractions in the area. Jimi Hendrix's grave came up. Only a few miles away and located between our current location and Bellevue we made a few turns and drove into the cemetery to find a large dome stone structure with images of Jimmy etched into the marble surface. I had no idea Hendrix was buried here. In the center was the small tomb holding Jimmy's ashes. Notes and flowers were still left for him and I went through his catalogue of music in my mind. Nick had never heard of him, never listened to the music, the self-proclaimed social justice advocate was not familiar with one of the foundations of hippie culture rock. Nick had moved away from the States in the late 60s, tired of the war and wanting to live in a society that wasn't as blatantly corrupt he moved himself and his wife to Norway. The picture he showed me was of a young man in a boat with a smile of hope for the future. The etched brow and chiseled square jaw line never changed over the years. His hair was still thick but in the black and white photo it was much darker than it was now. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish by running away, swearing to never step foot in the States again. He started a textile company, had a feud with Gloria Steinem, lost the company to investors after years of running the company and was back at stage one. This appeared to be a pattern in Nick's life, gaining and losing fortunes over the years, never being able to hold on to something that he had created. Once his goal was achieved it almost appeared that a self-destructive nature would take over, inspiring to start over and go through the process again no knowing how to maintain the life that he had created. In some ways I felt sorry for Nick, always the lost boy in the boat looking for adventure but never able to let go of the boat and settle down in a place and live the rest of his life in peace. I told Nick about Hendrick's life, dying at 27, only working in the States for three years before dying of an overdose. Hendrick served in the army, went airborne, and supported the troops during a time that it was frowned upon. 
Nick appeared to show some interest and after a few photos we left and drove back to Walden to prepare for that night's meeting of the minds. At this point we were shuffling around scenes from the season, creating new post-it notes and placing them on the board to figure out what events would change afterwards. The cast of characters were growing and with each new addition the plot would shift. The grand finale of the show was set in stone, a Game of Thrones-style mass extinction event to wipe the plate clean for season 2. Things were coming together and to move ahead I started asking if these changes were set in stone, something we could forget about to move ahead in the project. I received a yes, several times and a day or two later it was changed to something better that wasn't presented to the group. We are doing this instead. Start over. The changes would bounce around from the middle of the season to the opening scene in the pilot. The pilot was what drove me nuts the most, an episode that would rewrite the whole season depending on the changes that were made. At one point I created a new female character, a strong-willed woman who could take care of herself and was tough as nails. There were two brothers on the show and she was a completing love interest, nothing new for TV and something that always worked. While I had her as a leading role, moving along in her own story and popping in when the time was right for other characters, Nick had other ideas. We were going back and forth on the script, changing scenes and dialogue to fit the new layout of the episode. My new character was introduced filling a role that had been left out for some interactions and quickly putting her in as an important player in the show. Nick wrote his own version where she was quick to go to bed with one of the brothers as a way to pay her way out of a tough spot. I didn't know we were making the show for the porn industry. I read the script in horror wondering what the hell Nick was thinking. That night I brought up the script and Nick had a look of excitement on his face to hear how great it was. I said everything to disappoint him. There was no build-up, nothing that lead the audience to anticipate the moment, it was thrown out there as a fleeting act with my character turning into a cheap whore. In retaliation, the next day I sent a new script to Nick in the morning, Nick spent 5 minutes reading the 60-page document and came out of his bedroom belittling my dialogue, the way I described the opening scene, the poor use of characters, and the list went on and on. I pointed out the time that he took to read it with no way that he could have seen all that in 5 minutes. Your dialogue is horrible he said. I'm hiring a professional scriptwriter. I didn't change the dialogue, I pointed out. It was all the lines you wrote in the original version. All I changed was the scene description and what the characters were doing. Flustered he tried to come back with something of substance. I, well, no it wasn't. It doesn't matter. We clearly need someone else to work on the script. There was tension in the air the rest of that day. Breakfast at Gilbert's was quiet. Nick didn't say much about plans for the day. There was a rift taking place and while we were days ahead of schedule it was obvious that the project had problems. There was a strange desire for perfection on his list of priorities for the show, he couldn't face the fact that nothing was perfect, there was only the best that you could do and you had to accept that. I had to come to grips that nothing would satisfy this man and to continue working on this project would ultimately be a dead end with a few paychecks along the way and a lot of grief. I didn't see it then, too focused on the disagreement itself and hoping to smooth things over while saving the show. I had to get into Nick's head, an open book with pages he wrote himself for how he wanted people to see him. You had to learn to read between the lines and be skeptical of anything you read. The best way to get in his good graces was to feed his hungry ego and make sure he thought he was the center of your world. I would have to kiss ass. 